Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Robinson. I'm missing seeing all your faces and getting all those hugs, but I love that we can still meet like this and worship together. This week I'll be reading from John 21, 1-14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now this is how he did so. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, who was from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of his were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. We will go with you, they replied. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When it was already very early morning, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? They replied, No. He told them, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they threw the net and were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, tucked in his outer garment, for he had nothing on underneath it, and plunged into the sea. Meanwhile, the other disciples came with the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards. When they got out on on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire ready with a fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said, Bring some of the fish you've just now caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153. But altogether, there were so many, the net was not torn. Come have breakfast, Jesus said, but none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So our story today is in John 21. And if you weren't with us last week and you haven't had a chance to watch yet, we kicked off a new series we're calling Alive, how God's presence changes our present. And last week we looked at Mary Magdalene right next to Jesus's tomb on Resurrection Sunday. And really what we're doing is we're gonna take the next six weeks and walk through different resurrection appearances of Jesus. Because when the presence of God enters a situation, the situation changes. And and really, that's true for most presences in our life. I remember as a kid, I don't know how it's done anymore, but every once in a while, you would have in school, the teacher had to run an errand or go make a copy or go to the bathroom. And so she would designate the most responsible front row sitting, raise your hand if the teacher forgot to collect the homework kid, which was not me. And she'd say, hey, watch the room. I'll be right back. But even if the teacher was gone, if her presence was out of the room, it was a wildly different experience. And when she came back, it changed back to the way it was. And so what we're talking about is when we see and when we notice the presence of God in our midst that we have access to because Jesus is alive, it changes our everyday. Literally, his presence is what we were created to live into and what we were created to live out. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can every single day. So last week we looked at Mary Magdalene who was distraught over losing Jesus. And he appeared and we just kind of read her story. 
And we talked about how the presence of Jesus changes her grief into joy. And in some levels, that's what it does for us as it gives us an eternal perspective in the middle of the pain that grief comes with, in the perspective that is limited. And so literally the presence of God takes our grief and turns it into joy, pointing to one day when God is fully felt and his influence fully reigns in our world again when Jesus comes back. And so today, we're going to look at another story. We're going to dive in. It's week one of two, essentially, into the life of a guy named Peter, probably the most notorious, most likely loudest disciple of Jesus. We're going to look at a story of Peter in John 21 that was just read to you guys, and he finds him on the Sea of Galilee. But before we get into the story, every week at Crossroads, whether you're here in person or whether we're watching this online, we, we take some time and pray. And we pray because we know that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is in our midst. And we know that it uses the words of the scripture to shape us into the ways and rhythms of Jesus. So that his influence might more take over our lives. And so we just want to spend some time and ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in us this morning. Because we know he will. Because that's why we're here. We're not here to be critics. We're here to grow together as we look at how Jesus changes our world. So I'm going to ask that wherever you're at or whomever you're watching with, you just take the next 10 or 20 seconds and and just ask that the Holy Spirit does a work in your spirit this morning. All right, well, we're going to dive into the text. In verse 1, it starts like this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is how he did so. I love, I love that phrase, how it starts out. It says, Jesus revealed himself, and this is how he did so. And one thing we have to understand at the front is that Jesus picked and he chose when and how and where he was going to appear to people. He was intentional because he was trying to teach his followers something before he left again. He picked the places he was going to show up for a purpose. It's, it's kind of like right here, right now. We have picked this place to shoot this video for a purpose. It's not the worst we've done, and maybe there's a better place and we'll change and grow, but we like it for a couple reasons. One, it has kind of who we are on the background, how we grow into the image of Jesus as we press into the scriptures together. It tells people who we are. And so we pick time and places that we show up, and and so did Jesus as he manifested himself into the lives of his disciples. And so this story is Jesus picking the time and place that he showed up for a reason, and and we want to talk about that reason. And so it says right at the front, Peter's with five people, and he says, hey, I'm going to go fishing. And that statement is kind of loaded. I don't know how familiar you are with the text, but if you know anything about Peter, you know he's an action-oriented kind of guy. He's a, he's a leap-before-you-think kind of guy. He's, his two most famous stories are probably when Jesus is walking on water, and he says, hey, can I come out there? And Jesus says yes, and he just sprints on the water towards Jesus. Or maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
right before Jesus was arrested, they come to take Jesus and he takes out a sword and goes Van Gogh on one of the prison card's ear, you know? He is an action-oriented guy. I think it's really hard to not know what's next and to wait. I think we're probably all feeling the weight of that in our houses and we just need something to do if you're action-oriented. I think that when Peter was waiting on God to appear, um, he had to find something to fill his time. And so I've heard this text taught a bunch of different times, and I've taught it a couple of times. And one of the predominant ways I hear this text taught is that when, G- when, when Peter said, I'm going fishing, it wasn't just a statement of activity, it was a statement of lifestyle change. And so I've heard it taught that, that when he says, I'm going fishing, he's giving up on all the things Jesus called him to be, and he's returning back to the lifestyle he used to live before Jesus. I've heard that taught that way. Guys, I've even taught that before. And here's something that I'll just admit to you right now. I I don't think I think that anymore. At Crossroads, we believe growing people change. That includes me and everybody else. And so as you read through the text and get a picture of the context, I think it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that Peter would leave to go back to her former lifestyle because we know that Jesus had already appeared to him. In verse 14, if you skip down a bit, it says this is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples Peter has seen the risen Christ, and here's one thing I know. If you see somebody that was dead that isn't dead, and they talk to you, and they walk with you, and they eat with you, that changes things. If anything, I think Peter probably had more hope in what Jesus was going to do, because death could not confine Jesus. I think there are certain things we go through in life that define the day-to-day going forward. You can't unsee, and you can't look back. This might be one of those we talk on staff about what the new normal is, and it's going to be different because we went through, because we experienced, because we lived through the coronavirus. I think when Peter sees Jesus for the first time when he rose from the dead, I think it changed everything for him. So when it says, when he says, I'm going fishing again, I don't think he was going back to the way of life that he knew before but I do think he was going back to something he did before that he was good at. I think in the middle of the waiting, he needed an activity. And I think that he said, I got to do something that I know I'm good at. And I got to do something that I know I can control. Because in Mark 16, in one of the appearances, it says, go tell the disciples and Peter to go to Galilee and wait for me there. And so I think he's waiting for Jesus. And I think it's something we all do. When we have to wait and we don't know what's next, I think we we kind of flock to the things that either we enjoy that give us life or we're good at. So since this coronavirus thing has started, I'm cooking more now than I have before. I've instapotted things that I never thought I'd instapot. I'm looking at different recipes every day. I am getting more groceries delivered than ever before because for me, that's something I enjoy doing that I feel like I can control in the midst of the chaos and all the things I can't control. I think Peter is going back to something he was good at and something he could control. So I I don't think he was leaving for a life without Jesus. I do think he was doing something that he thought he didn't need Jesus for a while to do for a while while he waited. I think he was going back to what he did before Jesus because that's what made him feel comfortable. One author says it like this, but if Peter and his friends have neither apostatized, turned away from Jesus, nor sunk into despair, this fishing expedition and the dialogue that ensues do not need to, do, do, in the dialogue that ensues, do not read like the lives of men on a spirit-empowered mission. 
I think what he's saying in that quote is that these guys were doing something they felt like they didn't need Jesus to do because they were waiting on Jesus. And this is kind of some of the tension of our text today. It's, it's our independence versus our dependence on God all the time. Those moments in life when we kick back to things where we don't think we need God for and when God shows up and we actually realize we do because if you keep reading in the text, it says he goes fishing and then it says and he caught nothing. Now, make no mistake about it, he caught nothing, and he probably had nights before when he'd caught nothing, but Peter was not a bad fisherman. I am a bad fisherman. I'm a terrible fisherman because it's my two least favorite activities, one, being quiet, and two, being alone. And even if you say, Charlie, you can fish with people, you pretend like they're not there. I don't get fishing at all. And thirdly, my third least favorite thing is waiting. So all of these activities are kind of bunched together in fishing, Peter was a professional fisherman before he started following Jesus. Peter did it for a living. It put food on the table. He was very, very good at it. Peter knew what he was doing when he went fishing. And so when it says that that night he caught nothing, I think really what's going on in our text is Jesus saying, I'm going to appear right here, right now. And I think what Jesus is trying to do is poke a hole in the facade of independence Peter thought he had. I think Jesus is trying to poke a hole in the notion that Peter can do things and not need the presence of God. And so when we look at our story, it's really a tension between Peter living into the presence of God all the time or choosing some things where he doesn't think he needs the presence of God. So when it says that he caught nothing, it's going to set him up to realize that he needs Jesus in moments when he doesn't think he does. One uh, preacher and writer um, around the early 18-1900s, said this. It's a long quote, but I love it. It talks about the spiritual side of dependence versus independence. He says, human willpower alone is never enough. Willpower is excellent and should always be used, but it's not enough. A desire to live a good life is not enough. Obviously, we should all have that desire, but it will not guarantee success. So let me put it this way. Hold on to your principles of morality and ethics. Use your willpower to the limit. Pay great heed to every noble, uplifting desire in you. But realize that these things alone are not enough. They will never bring you to the desired place. We have to realize that all our best is totally inadequate, that a spiritual battle must be fought in a spiritual manner. And that's what the presence of God does when it shows up. So... What I think Jesus is doing is showing up in the middle of Peter's independence and he's reminding him of the beauty of dependence on him. And we see it. So if you look at verse 3 to 4, it says, They went out into the boat. That night they caught nothing. But it was very early in the morning and Jesus stood on the beach between verses 3 and 4. And just as a side for you, one of the things I love about John is the imagery he uses with day and night. And literally what you see when you look through John is when he uses the word night, it's usually something that needs to change, whether it's an evil act or whether it's Nicodemus in the early part of John or whether it's even things that they're ashamed of, like the chapter before when the disciples go and lock the door because they're afraid at night because they don't know if Jesus is alive and they haven't seen him. And so when John talks about day and night, he, he really begins this conversation on something that needs to change. It's about a new morning when morning comes. And so there is imagery here saying that Peter was living in this way that needed to change, but as morning came, Jesus stood on the beach. And it's not just day to, or night to day. It's literally a new 
era had arisen. Something new was on the scene that they needed to heed or learn. That's why so John uses day and night in his text, in his, in his gospel. It's the same reason why I think Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, on the eighth day. It's the first day of the new creation. It symbolizes a new era that Jesus came to bring. So all night long he fishes and comes up with nothing. And then Jesus, very early in the morning, stands on the beach. We'll keep reading verse 4, 5, and 6. There, very early in the morning, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, don't you have any fish? And they replied, no. He told them, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Here's what I love about that text. One, Jesus in the Greek, when he says you don't have any fish, it's kind of a, there's a negative in front of it. And, and he's kind of chiding them a little bit. Like, I think he's being a little sarcastic. And I think that's great. But, but two, I think what he's doing and what I love about this text and, and what I love about all the texts we're going to get into in the next four, five, six weeks of this series is that Jesus consistently meets people in their need. The presence of God meets people where they're at. I need that. I need that because so often when you're hurting or when you're in pain, you need to know that God is near. I need that because right now we're not meeting in church buildings, and I need to know the presence of God is bigger than a building. It's bigger than a person on a screen. It's bigger than whoever is teaching you. The presence of God is around us and is near because it meets us where we're at. It's been kind of a theme throughout the Old and New Testament is that you can't outrun the presence of God no matter where you're at or what situation you find yourself in. One of the most famous Old Testament stories is a man named Jonah, the guy that got swallowed by the whale. In the first chapter of his book, God says, go over here to these people. And he says, I don't like these people. I'm going to run literally the opposite direction of where you called me to go. I'm going to outrun your presence. And as you keep reading, what you find is that there's nowhere he could go to outrun the presence of God. And it's one of the themes of the first chapter of Jonah's book is that you, you can't go anywhere where God's presence isn't. And here's the deal. If God's presence is good and loving, and if we're made for it to live in it and to live it out, then that's a good thing. That's a grace. It's a comfort. So Jesus shows up in the middle of their situation. And it says in verse 6 and 7, they threw the net on the right side, and they were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And again, if you're not too familiar with Scripture, um, they're not getting a premonition. It didn't get much brighter. It's not just a guess. They know it's the Lord because this is one of my favorite parts of this text is because it mirrors, parallels almost, the story from when Jesus first called them to be his disciples in the first place. In Luke chapter 5, you can read it. Peter's not a disciple yet. He's out fishing. They fish all night. They find nothing. Jesus says, take me out in your boat. Then he says, drop your nets on the other side. And Peter at this point is a little snarkier. And he says, look, I don't know you, but I'm a fisherman and we've been doing this all night. And Jesus says, just trust me. And he does. And there were so many fish, the net started breaking. So this is almost a rerun of the same story. And so when it happens again, instantly it spurred the moment that it happened for the first time. And so he says, Peter, this is Jesus. I love that story. I love the story because it shows up, the presence of God, Jesus shows up and calls Peter here just like it did at the very beginning, at the beginning and towards the end. Jesus is showing Peter his need for him, for his presence. 
I think we live in a culture that by and large tells us that the more we grow up, the more independence we gain. The more we grow up, the more independence you grow into. And that's a good thing, right? Because it's part of growing up. You gain responsibility. I think that as you grow up, you get curfews extended, and you get a car, and you can buy a house, and you can set your own rules for your family. You get more independence the older and more responsible you get. And that's a good thing, but here's the thing with God. It's not the same way. We think we grow out of dependence because that's the story we're told in our culture. But in the life of following Jesus, dependency is currency, and we never grow out of it. We just grow into it more and more and more. And Jesus is telling Peter, no matter where you're at, you can't grow out of your dependence on me, whether it's the very beginning of me calling you or now. It's a beautiful picture of our need for the presence of God. And so they responded. Jesus um, told them to throw on the right side. They did. They got a lot of fish. And it says, so Simon Peter, when he heard that it was a Lord, tucked in his outer garment for he had nothing on underneath it. And he, he plunged into the sea. He was working hard, and so he took off some of his clothes, he put him back on, tucked him in, and started swimming as fast as he could towards Jesus with no regard for anything else, with no regard for the fish that need to be brought in, with no regard for helping his friends, with no regard for anything else. And I love Peter's response because, one, it is just Peter, uh, and, and two, the fervency um, he, he has towards running to Jesus. I saw a video this week, so China lifted some of their social quarantining, and if you're watching on the Facebook watch party, then we'll drop the link in there right now, but it's this 24-second clip of these two kids when they get their best friends, and they get to see each other for the first time since they've been under house arrest in China, and when the one kid sees his best friend 30, 40, 50 yards away, he just takes off sprinting. And then the camera follows him, and his friend like picked him up. And these kids are probably four or five years old. He, he literally picks his friend up off the ground, and the other friend says, I can't believe you're really here. It's a beautiful moment that then captures the innocence of Peter and the overwhelming joy that he felt because he was with Jesus again. And so I think we see two things about dependence from Peter's actions here. I think the first thing that we see is he, he saw it was Jesus. He recognized it was Jesus and he plunged right into the sea. And in the really practical side of things, on, on how we can grow our dependence on the presence of God in the person and work of Jesus every single day, I think the first thing we have to do is do what Peter did and admit that we need God. P Peter didn't say in that moment, oh, that's great, I'll be over there in a sec, I, I got this. The first thing Peter did when he found out it was Jesus over there was say, man, I need me some Jesus, I'm out of here. The first thing he did was admit that he depended on the presence of Jesus in his life. And that's a really difficult thing. Because I think one of the major conflicts in the Bible is man's independence versus man's natural dependence on God that we were created for. It's, it's the first thing we see go wrong with creation in Genesis 3. God says, depend on me. And man says, I'm going to do it my own way. I think we are dependent people. We're always supposed to be. And I think as we lean into dependence on God, what it does, it pokes holes in the facade of independence that we sometimes believe in. I think this coronavirus um, global pandemic has done just that in a lot of different ways on a practical level. So I love it when like the things of uh, the world show truth to the things of God. When people that aren't Jesus followers learn things that God has already said to be true. And so one of them, 
is we've learned pretty quickly that being alone is not what we were created for. And I'm not talking, I'm an introvert, I like to be in my house. I'm talking living alone for extended periods of time is not how we were created to function. There's a couple studies I want to quote to you that Health and Resources, the Health Resources and Services Administration, which is an arm of the government, cautions that loneliness can be as damaging to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Feelings of isolation and loneliness can increase the likelihood of depression, high blood pressure, and death from heart disease. It can also affect your immune system and its ability to fight infection. Uh, Naomi Eisenberger, who's a neuroscientist at the University of California, she says humans are a social species. Our brains and bodies have evolved to count on the closest of others. When we're surrounded by family and friends, we feel safe from predators and secure. But when we're on our own, even when we just feel friendless, our bodies gear up for danger and our nervous systems produce a chemical, a hormone associated with a fight or flight response. It causes inflammation the way the immune system heals wounds and fights off bacterial infection, and it goes into overdrive, causing chronic inflammation and reducing the body's ability to defend itself from viruses. There's also a neurosurgeon, a neuroscientist um, at BYU that studied there and, and taught there, and she said, I love this, she published an analysis in 2015 of 70 studies, 70 studies involving 3.4 million people examining the impact of social isolation, loneliness, and living alone. The results were notable in light of today's pandemic. She said the review found that loneliness increased the rate of early death by 26%. Social isolation led to an increased rate of morality of 29% and living alone by um, 32%, no matter the subject's age, gender, location, and culture. What it says is that we were meant to live life not independently, but dependently on just a physical, practical level. There was an article we shot around this week on staff, and it was from a doctor, and he basically just posted, and he said, you know, there's a reason why people are more tired now. Because even if you're going to say, Charlie, I'm not alone, I Zoom all day, every day, you know, with all of my friends. I'm a very popular Zoomer. That's great, but he said there's a reason why people are more tired, because 85-ish percent of communication is nonverbal, and you, you can't get that over Zoom. You can't get it. And that messes with you. It makes you more tired and more run down. And he just goes on to say, because Zoom calls, although they're a grace of God right now, are not the same as the real thing. And you were made for other people. I'm afraid that because as a culture, we value independence at such a high level, we miss the beauty of dependence in the Christian life on God and on others. Because that's what we were made for. And so the first thing Peter does is he just admits it, full on admits it, and dives headfirst into the water and says, I need this. But secondly, what we see is he doesn't just admit it, he prioritizes it over everything else that's going on at the current time, in the moment, with the boat, with the fish, with his friends. I think when you look throughout the Bible, it's pretty clear that God created us to be daily dependent on him. You can go to the Old Testament wanderings where he said, every day you're going to follow me. And I'm going to lead you daily. I'm not going to give you a map for a week. Daily, I'm going to lead you. You can go to the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, pray like this, give us our daily bread, not give us our Costco supply of bread for a year. Give us our daily bread. I think we were made to depend on God every single day. And what this shows me is that for followers of Jesus, dependence isn't a character flaw. It's a fundamental principle of everyday life. We can't see it as a weakness. We have to see it as a strength. I think Jesus is teaching Peter that. Because really, if you want to get a little more theological, dependence is at the heart of who God is too. 
And what I say, when, what I mean when I say that is, God's not dependent on you or me. He is fully sustaining outside of us. He doesn't need us at all. If he needed us, he would not be fully God. But what God does depend on is the relationship between the other members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God depends on the whole personhood of God that we see in the Trinity to be fully God. Because in the scriptures, the Father is defined as the Father, and the Father is only the Father if he has a Son. And, and Jesus is the Son, the eternal Son, before time and to the end of time when he comes back. And he's the eternal Son because there is a Father. And so what we see is this interdependence between even the person of God. It's how he is. It's how he created us to be. At, at Crossroads, we say, you can't do life alone. And we mean that on a practical level with people and on a more profound level with the presence of God. And that's what the disciples are wrestling with. That's what they're struggling with. How much of the next part of my life will be with God and how much will be without it? And I think Jesus is stepping into Peter's strength and saying, even in your strength, you need my presence. One author said it like this. He said, the disciples are coming to grips with the resurrection, but they still have not learned the profound truth that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. And so that night they caught nothing. I think that's a really great way to put it. And so then we depend on God because we have to admit it and because we're made for it and because it's a priority in our life and world. And that's tricky right now because if you're anything like me and your house is kind of just chaotic every single day, it, it's tough to prioritize us finding or pressing into the presence of God that's important because it's what we were made for. So whether that's five-minute journaling or whether that's listening to something you love, a worship song or a message, or whether that's taking you know, most of the afternoon and listening to one of my messages at crossroadsbible.org, whatever it might be, um, I think we have to prioritize finding and pressing into the presence of God because we were created for it. And then what happens when we do? We see in the text. So Simon went to the beach and saw Jesus, and at the end of our story, it says when they finally got there, his friends, it says it was full of fish, 153 in total. And there were so many, but the net was not torn. And Peter helped pull that in. What I think we see when we press into the presence of God is we see God work. We notice him acting. <laughs> and it's a beautiful moment. It's why at CBC we encourage when we go on mission trips, because in Flower Mound, it's a pretty affluent place, and it's really tough to see need in the middle of affluence. And so we have our students, all of them, and our adults, all of them, write letters of support, even if you can write a check for it right then and there, because it reminds us that we need God to show up, that we need God to go before us. And when people do that and they start getting checks in the mail or people saying, I'm praying for you, it changes how they see God. It changes how they see the mission trip. It changes the joy that they have. Paul even talks about it. He says our joy increases as we press into God together. And so when we depend, when we press into our dependence of God, what it does is it causes us to take joy in who God is because we recognize and realize that we need his presence and that his presence is real and it overflows in goodness. So present-centered followers of Jesus foster an attitude of daily dependence on God. It's that idea that it doesn't stop with one time, but you get a taste of the goodness of the presence of God and you keep running towards it again and again and again. And that's kind of what Peter's doing here. It's what Jesus Reminds him, of, reminds him of. So the presence of God turns our desire for independence into a deeper desire for dependence on God. It's this beautiful shift because, like I said, the presence of God changes things. 
Last week it turned our grief into joy, and this week it turns our idea of independence into a deeper dependence on his presence so that we can live into it and live it out in our world. And they're going to need it, because next week we're going to find another story of Peter. It's a little more intimate. It's a little tougher. He's going to talk about what's going to be in the cards for the future of Peter. And so the presence of God goes before us as we press into it so that we might live in the purpose and power of God. That's next week. So let me pray for us. God, I'm so thankful for who you are, and I'm thankful for your presence. I, I just pray that you show us those places that we maybe are feeling like we don't need your presence, those places that we feel like we're independent, where we're strong enough, big enough, good enough. I pray that you break those down and show us that we need your presence in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in our marriages, in the middle of this pandemic, so that we might see its goodness and then continue to want more of it. May we be a people who constantly seek after the presence of God, and may we define dependence as a good thing as followers of Jesus and not a weakness. So help us have a great week go before us um, as we connect with others and see your presence in all the spaces that we pursue you um, and we walk into this week. May we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey guys, as we end this morning, I saved something for the end. We have a blessing most weeks at Crossroads, but this week is a little different. So we also have a panel discussion right beneath this. And so I thought what I'd do is, one, so we could cut time off the sermon, but two, um, just to kind of get the ball rolling on the discussion. This text ends in kind of a weird way. So they come to the beach, if you keep going down, and it says they sat there and they ate next to a charcoal fire and they looked at each other with a bunch of awkwardness. And it says none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord, right? And so you're thinking, what does that mean? I think one thing that it means, and we're going to talk about this in the discussion below, is that the presence of God that we so desperately need and depend on is both comfortable and makes us uncomfortable at the same time as it calls us into things. I think there's this tension between what the presence of God does in our life. One author or commentator said, he comes to us as one unknown, yet without a name as of old. I love that. And so as we are people that live out the presence of God, we're going to feel comforted and feel challenged. It's going to be full of times of certainty and uncertainty because we serve a God that's bigger than us. And we're going to talk about it in the video below. So go click on that and have a great Sunday or whatever day you're listening to this song.